Welcome to Alumni Voices, a podcast series from Oxford University. I'm Paul Hammond-Davies, and every month I speak to a former student about their days at Oxford and the impact of their studies upon their career. For this episode, I'm joined by Ruth Hunt, Chief Executive of Stonewall, the largest LGBT equality charity in Europe. Ruth joined Stonewall in 2005 as the Senior Policy Officer leading on research into homophobic bullying in schools. In 2014, she became Chief Executive and spearheaded Stonewall's commitment to campaigning for trans equality. In 2015, she was voted the third most influential LGBT person in Britain in the Independence Rainbow List. Ruth Hunt, thank you for agreeing to this interview. As an undergraduate at Oxford, you studied English language and literature. What are your memories of studying here? I was really lucky to come to Oxford and felt and feel incredibly proud to have studied here as an undergraduate. St Hilda's was an incredible space for me to learn and it was, I think, for the first time in my life, the place where I felt most able to be myself for the first time. Mm. Um, I was encouraged and supported to be clever. And I think that particularly for women, that's a really important thing to establish at 18, that you are allowed to be as clever as you want to be. I was taught to challenge and I was challenged in return. And I think I am incredibly pleased that I had the opportunity and the privilege to attend. English literature taught me to think and write and think fast and read quickly and write quickly. It was quite an intense and is, I'm sure, still a quite an intense programme. Um, but I loved it loved Oxford and continue to love Oxford. Of course, when you matriculated in 1998, St Hilda's was still a women-only college. Mm. How do you think that impacted your experience of Oxford? I, I think that having a women-only college was incredibly important, and I, and I have some regrets that it's no longer a women-only college. Mm. I was really struck by the fact that women in St Hilda's learnt how to lead and think in a women-only space that was incredibly powerful. And I think we do still live in a patriarchal society where women's voices and women's experiences get lost. It's much harder. I was really struck when I was president of the student union that the president of the union was from St Hilda's, the president of Oxford Boat Club was from St Hilda's. You know, all these St Hilda's women taking Oxford-wide leadership positions I think was definitely a result of being allowed to fly in an environment like St Hilda's, where you belong to a wider university. And of course, men were part of our studies and our social lives and our networks and our groups. But there's something very powerful about being in that women only space. And I think having women tutors. And I think that one of the most important things for me was some of the women I learnt from during that period. And just the, the privilege of being exposed to intelligent, capable women is incredibly important. And I know, of course, that that happens in other colleges, but there was something quite unique about St Hilda's. And I, of course, learnt under now Professor Mapstone, but Dr Mapstone at the time. Mm. And if you're going to have a role model in your life, Dr Mapstone is the one to have when you're 18, I think. And I was I was very lucky. And what was your experience of Oxford as a place for LGBT students? Well, I think that Oxford is a, is a very, very liberal place. I think it always has been. Coming from a small town in Cardiff, I'd then lived for two years in Birmingham where I'd really come out before. Coming to Oxford was just a place where I could absolutely be myself. The fact I was JCR president and, and ASU president, having been openly gay, 
I think, speaks to the atmosphere. Now, I think on reflection, I know that there are things that could have been improved, of course, but at the time, it didn't feel like a negative place to be at all. I'm sure there are things that can be improved now in any in any society like this. But I think Oxford is, is such a place where people learn how to be themselves. It is a wonderful place, I think. And my experience was it was a wonderful place to be gay and finding my way on that. And you, you've mentioned being the president of the Oxford Student Union. How do you think this experience in particular prepared you for leadership? Oh, it's an, it's an amazing first gig. Um, to have a, to have a first job as as uh, president or or any of the sabbatical officers is a is a great opportunity. I learned about staffing, I learned about budgets, and I learned about campaigning, and certainly that experience set my career up. That plus plus a good degree has certainly shaped my career. And I always notice that when A level results come out, uh, social media is flooded with people saying, "Well, don't worry, I I didn't have any of that, and I've done all right." And I kind of sometimes want to say, well, I worked really hard and I got my A-levels and I got my degree and it's really helped. You know, it mm-hmm. is undoubtedly a result of that experience at Aosu and my time at Oxford that at the age of 36, I'm chief executive of charity. That That is, those connections are unequivocal. And Aosu is a great training ground. People who don't know about Oxford often presume that I was president of the union. But of course, I wasn't brave enough to wear what I wanted in those days and the frocks and I would never have got on well enough (laughs) as a union debater. But I think I would have had quite a lot of fun at the union if I'd been brave enough. I suppose that's where I ruled myself out of things because I was gay and and because of how I like to be gay. Mm. I guess the union is somewhere where where I didn't dip my toe. But the student union, I think, is a remarkable place. And and let's talk about, um, you know, the fact that you are the chief executive at Stonewall. This is the largest LGBT rights organisation in, in Europe. Since you've been in that role, you've really campaigned for trans equality, which was perhaps something that was missing from, yeah. from Stonewall before. Why was this particularly important to you? Well, I, I've worked at Stonewall for 11 years and have held a range of positions in Stonewall. While Stonewall's changed a lot, so in 2005, Stonewall had 25 staff and now it's got 100 staff. It's a big change over a decade. And trans issues were always considered to be legally very different and therefore not within Stonewall's remit. But I was very aware that Stonewall has such reach. You know, we work with 750 employers, 2,000 schools. We publish huge amounts of research. Our campaigns are very well respected. Campaigns like Some People Are Gay Get Over It and Rainbow laces campaigns mm-hmm. it felt increasingly like we were doing the trans community a disservice by not including them in some of that work whilst also acknowledging that there are issues that just impact on trans communities that shouldn't necessarily be conflated with issues of sexual orientation and it required a degree of patience and a strong understanding of those subtle differences to really navigate that change and I think I felt that I was in quite an important position, having been of this world for a decade, to navigate that, and I was very pleased to do so, as was the staff and the trustees. It was something that was very important. So I'm very pleased that we've done it and that we've got to this stage. And how has the trans community responded to that change at Stonewall? Well, the the trans community, I mean, I spoke with 700 trans people during the process of making a decision as to how Stonewall should best serve and support trans communities. And I think what the trans communities were very clear about is there are two issues. First, whether Stonewall's work could be inclusive of trans issues. You know, when when we're talking to employers or government, are we talking about trans issues? And how best we could support trans communities to pursue trans-specific agendas. And I think once we were able to make that differentiation, trans communities were increasingly trusting of our intentions. I've also been very, very clear that 
when you're talking about any communities who are not around a table, there is often a failure to recognise that what you have to do is give up some power. And I think what I wanted to do at Stonewall is signal that I was happy to share Stonewall's power with a community who struggled to be heard and struggled to have their voices heard and respected and struggled to get the platforms that Stonewall get. And I think that that acknowledgement that I was happy to give something up was an important element of building trust with that community. Mm-hmm. And I think it's often something that it, that goes wrong. And I think if you look at something like Oxford, that you know I spend a lot of time encouraging people who would not normally think about Oxford to think about Oxford, it does mean sometimes thinking about how we might change Oxford in order to make more people feel excited about coming here. I mean, it's it's interesting for the, the trans visibility. I mm. mean, you've got high profile figures such as Caitlyn Jenner, uh, Juno Dawson um, and Andrea Pejic who have transitioned or are in the process of, of transitioning. How, how do you think uh, this has helped the trans community and their visibility? And, and do you think this is a positive step? Role models and visibility is incredibly important. Seeing that trans people exist and are functioning and are doing well is incredibly important, particularly because a lot of the narratives about transgender issues are negative. And it's presumed that being trans is inherently tragic and inherently hard. So the more we can see about about different trans communities, the better. We also know at Stonewall that knowing people who are LGBT changes prejudice. You know, Stonewall talks a lot about LGBT people living, working, socialising, playing and praying with people who are not. So the more non-trans people can meet trans people, the more we can understand and know. One of the things that lots of trans people tell us, particularly young trans people though, is that those in the public eye are a particular type of trans person. It's incredibly difficult to get the support you need through the NHS, through your employer, through your school, in order for you to live the life you want to live. And sometimes I think society forgets that there are many, many ways to be trans. And there's a real danger that people um, are accepting of what we call at Stonewall, um, in parenthesis, good trans. And a good trans person is someone who looks the part, who you can't tell, who it doesn't make too much fuss. And that makes it very difficult for those who don't conform to those kind of stereotypes mm. to be accepted. And I think at Stonewall we want to see a greater visibility of a range of trans voices and a range of lesbian and gay and bisexual voices, frankly. I mm. mean, there's a there's a similar narrow view of what it is to be gay. Mm. There's certainly a, an idea of what good gay looks like, you know, a gay man who's not too camp or a lesbian who's not too butch. Mm-hmm. And there's an acceptance in society of a certain type of LGBT person that is not particularly helpful for those who don't fit neatly into those boxes. The recent Olympics in Rio has underscored some of the issues Mm. that people are going through. Tom Daly, when he crashed out of his diving competition, got a horrendous amount of criticism that centred around him being gay. And and that seemed to be the issue rather than the fact that he just didn't perform on that day. And then also you had Caster Semenya, the South African athlete, who has really been very cruelly treated in terms Mm. of um, her hyper-androgenism, whether she should be categorised as male or female, whether she should be allowed to compete against other women. Although the Olympics has been a really great celebration of sporting achievement, there still seems to be a long way for the LGBT community to go. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I think I think that in terms of Tom Daly, we like gay people when they're being good people. And as soon as something goes a bit wrong for them, then suddenly their sexuality is the first thing that gets whacked around their head. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a real shame that there is so much uh, hatred. In some ways, the Olympics this year was the most gay friendly and I use that word deliberately Olympics ever you know there were Mm. couples getting married and there were you know lots of lots of gay visibility but again we we like it when they're doing well 
I think in terms of trans, sport has a huge way to go. Mm. And the, the, the Olympic Committee made it very hard and has made it very hard. They have decided that we, we define sport very strictly in terms of gender, that mm. there are boys' sports and girls' sports and there are boys' competitors and girls' competitions. But our knowledge of gender is changing and that actually people don't always fit neatly into either of those two boxes. And Castor has been prodded and poked and excluded and hurt and they have concluded that she can compete as a woman in women's sports but then as soon as she competes she's derided for it. Mm. I think that they have failed her quite significantly. Yes she has higher levels of testosterone but that doesn't make her a man and I think that if they looked across sporting communities they'd find similar anomalies for want of a better word. I just think society hasn't caught up with the reality of a lot of people's lives. And what that leads to, for people who are not as talented as Castor, is to exclude themselves from sport. And that's where it becomes a really serious issue about how do we let people take part and how do we encourage people to take part. And that's something that's very concerning. I think also the the Castor story tells us a lot about how we like women to be. I think Mm. there was as much an objection to Castor because she isn't perceived to be traditionally feminine and that she is strong and she is a woman and she is fast and she is powerful. And I think we as a society still have a problem with women being perceived in that way that we consider there to be something unnatural about it. You know, you only have to look at Matilda to know and and the kind of old school descriptions of Miss Trunchbull to know that we Mm. don't like strong women. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think there's a lot of that going on regardless of her testosterone levels. But the level of expertise on uh, hormone levels is astonishing. These people who know nothing about the right makeup of of human physiology are sometimes somehow immediately experts on what constitutes a good woman. You've been voted the third most influential LGBT person in Britain. How do you cope with that responsibility and that title? I think that the being chief exec of Stonewall is a very unusual chief exec role. Who I am is as important as what I do to a certain extent. And I take that responsibility very seriously. I know that when I was growing up, there weren't many women like me in the public domain. And I have a responsibility to make sure I'm doing what I can to show that there are many, many ways to be gay, that it's OK to be smart. It's okay to be a leader. It's okay to be articulate and all these all these different things. There's sometimes I wish I could just kind of be, be gay without mm. kind of being gay with a capital G and, mm-hmm. and being defined in that way. And I know that, you know, that, that there will be other jobs for me and you can only do this for so long. But I'm incredibly proud of what Stonewall achieves. The staff are amazing. Uh, we're very lucky that we have such a great group of people who are working really hard to change the world. And what an awesome opportunity that is to work in such an environment like that. As the chief executive of Stonewall, it seems you have to represent a community with a lot of different viewpoints. How do you reconcile your personal views with both the organisation and the communities that you represent? Yeah, well, we we always insist that we don't represent anyone, but amplify the voices and, and act as a way of articulating the issues for LGBT people. I think that really rely on good evidence and draw on evidence in order to establish policy positions. But also we spend a lot of time listening and talking to our communities. And it is a big communities. And they hold different views and are very vocal when they disagree. And we're lucky at Stonewall that we have such 
incredible synergy between our beneficiaries and our organisation. A lot of charities can't can't boast that. So as soon as we put a step wrong, I am very confident that people will tell me loudly across a range of different platforms. We try really hard to be in tune with where the communities are at. But there are things that are happening that we have to be able to accept that there are different views. I think that's what's changing. I think a decade ago, Stonewall's role was about convincing uh, mainly heterosexual people who didn't know anything about LGBT issues to pass laws that gave us the right to be just like them. And that kind of assimilationist approach to gay rights was an incredibly important part of the gay rights journey, if you like, but deliberately turned down the volume on those who didn't want to have that kind of life. You know, there's lots of people who don't want to get married and have kids and pay their taxes, Mm. you know, all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And now I think Stonewall's in a position where we can turn up the volume on some of those different communities and ensure those voices are heard, even if they sometimes contradict the voices of others. Mm. And I think letting those things coexist is much more of Stonewall's responsibility now. We live in a time where young people are coming out earlier. There's a lot more visibility of the LGBT community on television and in media. And yet there seems to be a rise in mental health issues reported amongst this group. What, what is your message or what is Stonewall's message for young LGBT people? I think that what we're seeing is that young people are able to talk about what's happening. I think young people have always had a, a good awareness of their otherness from a young age, even if they haven't had the words to say it. I think that what's different now is that people are able to talk about it. I think that there is a very real assumption then that things are all all right. I think people talk a lot about how the battles are won and nobody cares if you're gay anymore. And the reality is that plenty of people do still care if people are gay, including gay people themselves. Mm. You know, it is it is still something very brave to say, I am not what you thought I was, or I'm not what I thought I was, requires a degree of courage. Even if Coronation Street says, and that's great, that still requires a degree of courage. I really wish and hope that anybody who is really trying to get their head around their identity and where they're at in life find someone to talk to, finds other people, finds communities online, but also just has a good counselling session. And I think that the University of Oxford does an amazing job at providing that kind of support. Um, What would your advice be to any young LGBT students who are considering Oxford or indeed have a place to come here? I would certainly really start looking forward to what an amazing experience you'll have. I think Oxford is one of the best places to be LGBT. The city is amazing. The college system really allows a great degree of support for LGBT people. I think that the individual college LGBT reps provide a whole range of different role models and the different opportunities at a university level are amazing. I certainly should have read more and gone visited fewer colleges and women in other colleges would be my advice. Do your degree. Um, But um, it certainly was a very liberating time for me. Ruth Hunt, thank you for sharing your personal story and for your advice for prospective students. If you would like to listen to other episodes of Alumni Voices, please visit www.alumni.ox.ac.uk.